congregation, you read in Ephesians 5 or 6, let no man deceive you. Let no man deceive you. So there were deceivers, apparently. And they used vain words. Let no man deceive you with vain words. What's the background? Because of these things cometh the wrath of God upon the children of disobedience. It was about the wrath of God. And the deceiver said, Oh, come on. That's not bad. Don't be too concerned. This is Savior. You'll be fine. You go to heaven. Let no man deceive you with vain words. For because of these things cometh. Certainly it comes the wrath of God upon the children of disobedience. So people are questioning if the wrath of God is coming with vain words. Also in the Heidelberg Catechism, our instructor deals with those vain words regarding the wrath of God. So let us see what they, what they say. Lord's Day 4, questions 9 through 11. Does not God then do injustice to man by requiring from him in his love that which he cannot perform? Answer, not at all. For God made man capable of performing it, but man, by the instigation of the devil and his own willful disobedience deprived himself and all his posterity of these, of those divine gifts. Question 10, again a fingered. Will God suffer such disobedience and rebellion to go unpunished? By no means, but is terribly displeased with our original as well as actual sins and will punish them in his just judgment temporally and eternally as he has declared cursed is everyone that continues not in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. Question 11. Again, they learned. Is not God then also merciful? God is indeed merciful, but also just. Therefore, his justice requires that sin which is committed against the most high majesty of God be also punished with extreme, that is, with everlasting punishment of body and soul. So far. The theme for tonight, punishing sin. And with the help of the Lord, three thoughts. 
responsible, responsible for our sins. Secondly, terribly displeased with our sins. And, and in the third place, merciful but everlasting punishment of sin. Punishing sin. Responsible for our sins. Terribly displeased with our sins. And merciful but everlasting punishment for sin. Congregations, so many people like to deceive us and have a different opinion on the wrath of God. And there's so much deceit coming our way. That was already true in the time of the Lord Jesus. Let no man deceive you, for many shall come in my name, saying, I'm Christ, and shall deceive many. It was predicted. And many false prophets arise and shall deceive many, not a few, many. For there shall arise false Christs and false prophets and shall show great signs and wonders in so much that if it were possible, it isn't, but if it were possible, they shall deceive the very elect. That's how serious it is. And also in Ephesians 4.14, that we henceforth be no more as children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slate of men and cunning craftiness, whereby they lie in wait to deceive. So our special attention tonight for that text from Ephesians 5 or 6, let no man deceive you with vain words, for because of these things cometh the wrath of God upon the children of disobedience. It is about God's wrath, his holy anger, his real indignation. Sadly, sinners try to argue with God and question if he's fair. And Just mention and say God will never ask us the impossible. That will be rude, and God is not mean. God is not abusive, but reasonable and understandable. It is abusive to ask a child to push a heavy wheelbarrow, fill the dirt. The five-year-old toddler cannot even lift it from the ground. And then the father say, come on, do it. If you don't do it, you're in trouble. He can't. He's crying that I can't. And I'm being hard on that boy. Oh, he cannot. It's too heavy for him. Is that what the Lord is? Asking the impossible, you have to do this, you have to do this. And you say, Lord, I can't. I can't be holy. I can't be perfect. And is the Lord then so serious about it that the Lord will even punish us for doing, for not being able to do it? Or can we ask someone to keep his eyes open for 24 hours without sleep and work and work because it's busy in the business 
And if his eyes are closing, his boss is mad, he says, you have to work and you have promised to work for 24 hours. How can you blame the person for being sleepy? So you know how many reason about God this way? And they say God is a God of love. As long as you do your best, God is fine. He's not angry. Of course, nobody is perfect. And God does not expect you to be perfect either. God does not expect you to be. So why would, you, why would he be provoked to anger? And many deceive themselves this way by thinking that God is happy when they do what they can. But the Lord is asking something that they cannot. And rightly so. Because we were able to do it. We were. We are not able anymore, but we were. A few examples. You put down a deposit for the house you like to rent. So you gave the owner of the house, the lender, $1,000. But after a while, it doesn't work. And I think, according to Canadian law, then the lender has to pay the $1,000 back to the renter. But he goes back, he says, it, it doesn't work, so can I have my $1,000 back? And the landlord says, I spend it already. I don't have the money. Sorry, I don't have it. I, I can't pay you. So the person who, is, who was about to rent the, the house is devastated, says, I, I, but I need it. Yeah, I, I don't have it. I, I, I can't pay it. You cannot take it from me because I don't have it. So in a situation like that, what do we do? Do we say, well, that it's not fair to ask him for the $1,000 because he doesn't have it anymore. No, but he, he had them. He has overspent. He has wasted the money. He did not keep it as a deposit. Or think of someone who went to the bank for a mortgage. And after some days of investigating, they, they got it. They got a mortgage. It was all fine. And they paid for a couple of years, month after month, very faithfully. But then he got on the alcohol. He began to drink. And they got into debt. And they could not pay the mortgage anymore. And they had to, the bank was warning them. And then they said, well, we don't have it. So does the bank then say, okay, you don't have it, so then you don't have to pay. No, they don't say that. You have to pay. Even if you cannot pay, you have to pay. And that is also true for the Lord. The Lord is asking us to pay the full amount of obedience. And if we say that that's not reasonable, we cannot anymore, Lord. Lord says, I know, but you could. I have made you whole in my image, in righteousness, in knowledge, in holiness. See, no, we didn't fall into a trap. We are not victims. 
we are perpetrators. And we listen to Satan and disobey willfully. We knew better. We're clearly warned even. And nobody made us incapable. We made ourselves incapable. We deprived ourselves and we have ruined ourselves. So God is just, righteous, reasonable. And he is a perfect judge. He will never acquit the guilty and never condemn the guiltless. We talked about it before. What type of judge do you prefer? If you have been abused for years, or your child has, would you like to have a judge with such understanding and this willingness to forgive and to let you always slap on the wrist? Or would you like to have a, a judge? A judge who is doing justice, just that, for these cultural. Because if he's doing justice and he's doing his job, and then it might also be easy to forgive even. Our maker is perfect. He's a judge, judge. And there may be mitigating circumstances. Maybe. However, justice needs to be done. And so the Lord must punish sin with body and soul. And there is no eternal life, but there is eternal damnation if we have no Savior. Let nobody deceive you, because the wrath of God comes on the children of disobedience. Let nobody deceive you with vain words. The wrath is on us since Adam. Because Adam is our representative, right? His sin is our sin. That was the covenant relationship. The Lord said, Adam, if you sin, then your whole posterity sins. Your sin is their sin. And maybe this young friend sitting here saying, exactly, I just struggle with her. I can't handle her. That Adam's sin is my sin. He did something wrong, and I, and I suffer for, 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 for that. But you know, you have to think it through a little bit. If you say the sin of Adam cannot be my sin, if you are firm on that, then it's also not fair that the righteousness of Christ becomes yours either. So if Adam's sin cannot condemn us because it's not his sin, then the righteous and obedience of Christ cannot help us either. But God has organized mankind in such a way that representatives are important. And that Adam's sin becomes the sin of all, and that the righteousness of Christ becomes the, the, the righteousness of his people. So you have to be careful when you say, I don't agree with that. I don't accept that. That has severe consequences. If Adam's sin is not our sin, then Christ cannot do anything for us. 
Not Pharaoh. Nehemiah 1, the Lord is slow to anger and great in power and will not at all acquit the wicked. May the Lord teach us this personally. We need to have no excuses left. We have to have our hands in our mouth. We have to become dumbfounded, admitting the responsibility of our condemnation. Did you ever mean it when you sang, Against thee only have I sinned, done evil in thy sight? Lord, in thy judgment thou art just, and in thy sentence right. Have you, did you see it in your heart? Or none can stand unscathed and blameless in thy judgment just. Do you know what that means? You know, that sounds scary, huh? To sing that, Lord, in thy judgment thou art just, in thy sentence right, agreeing with your own condemnation. Sounds scary. But in fact, it is so good to be there. I like to be led to that place again. I love that place. Being stripped from all your righteousnesses, having nothing left, and be condemned. Why? There the Lord comes over. But to this man will I look, will I look, even to him that is poor and of a contrite spirit and trembleth at my word. May you confess that. And in thy sentence right, Lord, then the, the Lord comes over. When someone is so emptied of self, the Lord does not let you down. But then he comes and shows his mercy. So we are responsible for our sins. We need to confess them, therefore. Brings to the second point. Table displeased with sin. So we talked about question nine. Does God then do injustice to man by requiring from him in his law that which he cannot perform? Be sought already not at all, for God made man capable of performing it, but man by the instigation of the devil and his own willful disobedience deprived himself, see, and all his posterity, see, of those divine gifts. But then now 10. Will God suffer such disobedience and rebellion to go unpunished? Is that not, not possible? Let me begin with, uh, que with, with questions. Can God override his justice? Can he override it? Because I, I am just, but I will override it. I will annul it. I will change it. 
Can God decide to not punish someone who is guilty? Can God do that? Is he a free God? Is he so free that he can do whatever he wants? So God is terribly angry with sin. Is he free to say, okay, it is put in the carpet. Just, I don't pay attention. I turn a blind eye to that. Can God do that? Is God bound to do certain things? Is he limited? Is he limited in what he can do, or is God free? We call that voluntarism, like volunteer, right? Something who is volunteering has has a will. And so voluntarism means that God is free to will whatever he wills. Well, we don't believe in that. God is limited. God is not free. God cannot just do what he doesn't want. It's something we cannot understand, of course. But in in voluntarism, people teach that God is free to override his own attributes. And although that sounds really divine to have a God who is free, it would mean that God is random, unpredictable, unjust, hard, easygoing, weak. It would be it would just be up to God what he wills then. He would then deny himself. How can God deny himself? He can't. How can God not take himself seriously? The Bible does not teach such a free God. A God who cannot decide against his own nature. If we suffer, we shall also reign with him. If we deny him, he also will deny us. If we believe not, yet he abide faithful, he cannot deny himself. He cannot deny himself. He loves himself. He loves himself infinitely. How can he not take sin seriously? God is not a man that he should lie. Neither the son of man that he should repent. Has he said and shall he not do it? Or has he spoken and shall he not make it good? He has said the day that thou eatest of thou shalt surely die. Can God say, oh I said that but I just changed my mind. He cannot deny himself because the law is not over God. It's not so that God 
must obey the law that's outside of him. The law is God himself. And if you sin, you don't sin against the law, you sin against him. So the law is so interwoven with God himself. He cannot deny himself that he must punish sin, that it cannot remain unpunished. In hope of eternal life, which God that cannot lie promised before the world began. See, there are things God cannot. And the law is not over God, a law he may choose to obey or not to obey, no. God is so defined by the law that sin is not just sin against the law, but sin against him. The law is part of God, and sin therefore must be punished. Punishment will come, and eventually a final punishment. He has to, he wants to, he cannot do anything else. He must deal with people as well when they die. And he will. And the Lord will bring all sins before his face. And he will keep us accountable for every idle word. Because he is God. And he is holy. So, congregation, now is the time to escape. There's such a wrathful God, and he has given his only begotten son. And he has given a sower, as you have seen this morning, a sower to sow the seed of the gospel. In spite of his wrath, he is yet a forgiving God. But we have to take it seriously. And oh, if we don't step on the seed and despise him and neglects the salvation. How horrible that is. Don't you see that? However, his wrath is real and we are born as children of wrath, yet the Lord is willing to save. I read in Psalm 5, For thou art not a God that has pleasure in wickedness, Neither shall evil dwell with thee. The foolish shall not stand in thy sight. The foolish shall not stand in thy sight. Thou hatest all workers of iniquity. The Lord does not only hate sin, he hates in a way the sinner. Sometimes people distinguish and say, no, we, we love the sinner, we hate the sin. The problem is, God cannot punish sin. Sin is not a person. Sin is something you do wrong. The Lord punishes people for their sins. So that means that the Lord is a God of justice, means he is a God who must punish people. So therefore there is also eternity, right? Deuteronomy 8. 
before thou, before that thou forget not the Lord thy God in not keeping his commandments and his judgments and his statutes which I command thee this day. And it shall be if thou do it all, forget the Lord thy God and walk after other gods and serve them and worship them. I testify against you this day that ye shall surely perish. So there are in the Bible so many threats. If you do that, you will know it. You will be punished for it. Matthew 25. Then shall he say also unto them on the left hand, Depart from me, ye cursed into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels, and these shall go away into everlasting punishment by the righteous, but the righteous into life eternal. So God fulfills his promises, also his threats. He warned Adam, The day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. It happened. He told Noah about the flood coming, and the flood came and destroyed them all. The Lord told Gomorrah and Sodom, and they vanished from the bottom of this, from the, from the face of the earth. And the Lord threatened Jerusalem, and Jerusalem was destroyed. And the Lord showed it on the cross in crucifying his own son. There we see it, right, that God is just. He was even willing to punish his son for that. Let no man deceive you with vain words, for because of these things, Cometh the wrath of God upon the children of disobedience. But back to question 10 now. Will God suffer such disobedience and rebellion to go unpunished? By no means. But is terribly displeased with our original as well as actual sin. So the sin be take along when we are born, and the sin we do. And he will punish them in his just judgment already on earth, temporally and eternally. As he has declared, cursed is everyone, not some, everyone, that continues not in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. The Lord even punishes on earth already. A few examples. Think of Moses. Moses was supposed to hit the rock with his rod. And I read in Numbers 20, And Moses lifted up his hand, and with his rod he smote the rock twice. And the water came out abundantly, and the congregation drank. 
and the beasts also. And the Lord spake unto Moses and Aaron, Because ye believe me not, to sanctify me in the eyes of the children of Israel, therefore ye shall, ye shall not bring this congregation into the land which I have given them. So Moses was not allowed to inherit the new country, the new Canaan. Or think of David and his sin with Bathsheba. Now therefore the sword shall never depart from thine house, because thou hast despised me and hast taken the wife of Uriah, the Hittite, to be thy wife. So he paid for that already. He and King Saul died because he was asking divine spirits. In 1 Chronicle 10.13, And Ananias and Sapphira were both killed for lie against the Holy Ghost. And the Lord says in Revelation 2 verse 5, Remember therefore from whence thou art fallen, and repent, and do the first works, or else I will come unto thee quickly and will remove thy candlestick out of this place, except thou repent. So is affliction the result of specific sin then? If you have a problem in your health or something happens, something disastrous, and you can you say, well, that is the punishment of, for this or that sin? I wouldn't say that. It can even be good to be afflicted. Maybe the Lord chastises you. And the Lord blesses you this way. Like in John 9 with the man that was born blind. And the Jews asked the Lord Jesus, Who has sinned, he or his parents? And the Lord Jesus said, Neither. But so the works of the Lord will reveal. We also read in Lamentation 3, But though he causes grief, yet will he have compassion according to the multitude of his mercies. For he does not afflict willingly, nor grieve the children of men. Cursed. Condemnation. How does that feel? How do you experience that? In modern theology, they call this theology sick. They call our theology sick. They call our theology abusive. They say doing that to people and doing that to his own son absolutely unheard of. No understanding of the beauty of it. And yet, the Lord is also merciful. Question 11. Is not God that also merciful? Our third thought. Congregation in the Reformed theology, God is called simple. We believe in a simple God. 
Not in a sense, we usually simple when people are simple and uneducated. Or simple in the sense of behind. No, simple also has the meaning of being in harmony. No additions. The opposite of duality. So one. And so God is one. He has no different sides. This side and that side, the merciful side and the righteous side and the hated side and the lover side. God has no side. He is simple. He is one. He is in complete harmony with himself. So is not God then also merciful? So he is just and righteous, also merciful? Yes, he is. But you have to keep in mind the simplicity of the Lord. Not one side angry and the other side not. One side righteous and the other side merciful. God is one, even in the Trinity. As a child, I thought about those things sometimes, and I thought, God the Father does not want to save everyone. But the second person, Lord Jesus, probably wants to. So they make a difference between the will of the Father and the will of the Son. Can be. He is simple. He is the same. The Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit completely agree with themselves and with each other. So God is merciful, but also just. And therefore his justice requires that sin which is committed against the most high majesty of God be also punished with extreme, that is, with everlasting punishment of body and soul. God punishes with the sin that matches the crime. He is not punishing too hard or too light. The Lord really looks closely at the crime and the crimes committed. And there is a punishment that fits it, that matches it, that is according to it, that corresponds to it. That's important to know also when we discipline children and when we discipline at home and in school, we must do something that fits, that's matching. Otherwise, we provoke the children to wrath. But here it is a little different. This is not only discipline in the sense of raising children and giving them awareness and showing their limits. This is also the punishing justice, right? Something that is done on purpose receives is more serious than something that was an accident, right? In Israel, when someone was using an axe and the steel part came loose from the handle and flew through the air and hit someone in the forehead and killed him, the person could also flee to the 
tabernacle and hold the, the, the horns of the altar and take refuge. And after the investigation, if it appeared to be an accident, he was not killed. It also makes a difference who you're doing something against. You say something rude to your brother, that's wrong, right? You should, you should say it to your brother. But to say the same thing to your grandma, that is no different. Being disrespectful. And if a sin is going on for years, think of abuse, that also makes it more serious, right? And if the perpetrator has no repentance and doesn't even want to apologize, makes it all so more serious. But sin against God is so different from disrespectful to your brother or disrespectful to your grandma. So different. Because God is infinite. He is higher than high. We can measure him. He is the highest majesty of God. And if you sin against him, you did against an infinite God, your sin is also infinitely wrong. And then no remorse, and then go on for years, our whole lifetime, it's beyond words. And that's what we read here, right? Extreme. God must punish with extreme, with everlasting punishment of body and soul because we committed sin against the most high majesty of God. Therefore, I recommend to think it through for yourself. Sin against an infinite God is infinitely serious. It must be punished with extreme punishment. And that's why the Lord Jesus, when he came, had to be divine. He was human, right? Completely human. But he was also completely divine. And if he would not have been divine, he could not have carried that infinite load, the infinite wrath of God. So that it's very important to see that right. Is God not also merciful? In a way, I like the question. I like the question, is God also merciful? Yes. Because merciful, when you think about that, admits also sin, right? If you ask for mercy, say, please forgive me, that means that you acknowledge your sin. So when people ask for mercy, they at least feel their sin somehow, somehow. And in our day and age, that becomes more and more rare. People are not even asking for mercy anymore. They're asking for help. They're asking for comfort. They're asking for guidance. 
asking for company, asking to be relieved from the consequences of sin. But they don't care for mercy. Because what do they need mercy for? So that is also happening among Christians today in, in churches. That the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, came for the weak and the poor and the sick and the lonely and the grieving. That's all fine. It's all true. But they just forget the most important part. Lord Jesus did not only come and just come for the poor, the sick, the lonely, and the grieving. He came to forgive sins. And without that, there is no justice done. So what do you need God for? Could you answer that question for yourself tonight? You need God? What do you need him for? What's the purpose? Do you say, I have sinned against the Lord? I need the forgiveness of my sins because I have sinned against the highest majesty of the Lord. That's serious. But keep in mind that God cannot be arbitrary. He cannot be inconsistent. He's the lawgiver himself. How can he oppose his own law? How can he turn off justice? He can't. So what is now our response to that? Having heard this, I hope this is your response. I'll read from the Psalms. Hopefully that's you. Having heard this, wash me. Wash me truly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my transgressions and my sin is ever before me against thee, thee only, have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight. And then those sentences, they're important. That thou mightest be justified when thou speakest and be clear when thou judgest. That's not easy, but let me simplify that. In the last part of Psalm 51 verse 4, David justifies God. So he is not only justified himself, forgiven, he justifies God. He says, Lord, thou hast done nothing wrong. I completely agree with justice. I completely agree with thy law. I have done this evil in thy sight, that thou mightest be justified when thou speakest. When the Lord speaks, he is right. I agree with that. And cleave when thou judgest. So that means that he declares God to be blameless. A blameless God. We're going to end. I like to read from the first chapter of Isaiah. Also about this. 
wash you, make you clean. Put away the evil of your doings from before my eyes. Cease to do evil. Learn to do well. Speak judgment. Relieve the oppressed. Judge the fatherless. Plead for the widow. And come now. And let us reason together. Say the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. If ye be willing and obedient, ye shall eat the good of the land. But if ye refuse and rebel, ye shall be devoured with the sword, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken it. Amen.